You're listening to Q&A Over Coffee. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for obtaining accounting, tax, or financial advice from a professional accountant. Honestly, um, I heard that secure 2.0 topic and when Mike was talking about it, I was thinking, well, this must be like IT security or like identity theft security, right? Because I'm like secure 2.0 is not, you wouldn't relate that directly to retirement plan. And so then I had to look up like what is secure 2.0 and it's setting every community up for retirement enhancement act. I'm like, leave it to politicians to put a paragraph into an acronym and then be like, hey, we're going to call this secure 2.0. You know that's someone's full-time job, right? coming up with those acronyms. Well, like, this Z- makes sense. Zach and I were saying, do you think they come up with the acronym first and then find words to fit the letters of the acronym? Or do they come up with the title and then like, okay, how can we make this into an acronym? How do we mold this? Like, hey, I like secure. Let's go with secure. Okay, what do we got to use to like make this work? Welcome to Olson Thielen's Q&A Over Coffee podcast. I'm your host, Adam Hennen. Today, we're joined by Blake Faust, Director of Retirement with Abbey Street. Um, Blake, why don't you take a minute, introduce yourself, let us know what's in your cup, what, you know, personal life, professional life, whatever you got going on, what's interesting you, what's on Netflix. All right, I appreciate that. Thanks, Adam. What's in the cup right now? I mean, that's uh, Starbucks Nitro Cold Brew, so jet fuel for the morning. Yeah. But yeah, uh, what's going on in my world we are, I'll start with the Netflix. I like where that's going. We're actually into Suits right now. I'm one of the few folks that have not seen that. That's, so the one That's thing. an old show, and I saw it too on the other day. I'm like, hey, I remember watching it like an episode way back, so I might just restart that series myself. It's good. Is it, it? 45-minute episodes, it, it, it logs some time right there. I think the other big news right now for, for my world is my wife is about two weeks out from giving birth to our first child congratulations so, baby boy coming very soon here i'm actually on call so looking at the phone just in case uh, i gotta run out of here at some point well uh, 30 minutes are started right so like you can't leave <laughs> time's on yeah there you go. no just kidding Well, uh, topic today is Secure 2.0, um, and if you're like me, you have no idea what that means, so I had to do a little bit of research, and Secure 2.0 stands for Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement Act, uh, passed in December of 2022. So this act, um, obviously the goal and outcome is to to build and encourage retirement plans and retirement savings, um, but has some really big implications on business. So do you maybe want to just start by expanding on what is Secure 2.0, um, and some, maybe some key takeaways that, that we need to think about off the, on the front end. Yeah, happy to do that. So it's a mouthful. Secure 2.0 was a build off of Secure 1.0, which was passed back in 2019, which is crazy that we've had this much legislation in the retirement plan space. Uh, we haven't really seen this much since 2006 when we had the Pension Protection Act that came through. So it's been a little bit neglected, but now we're getting a rapid fire 1.0 and 19, 2.0 in 2022. And really the, the, the purpose of it is to build off of 1.0. And what you're going to see and what you're going to hear about is a lot of it is expanding that retirement access to folks. It's really making sure that small businesses, folks that make up most of the working community have access to a retirement plan because stats show that when left to their own devices, if they have to go and open an IRA somewhere, open a savings account somewhere else, generally people don't do that. So if they can automate that and put that through an employer, 
put that through their paychecks, what have you, people are more likely to save for their eventual retirement because we do have a retirement crisis in the United States. There's people depending on Social Security, which is not necessarily uh, something that's going to completely supplement their income in retirement. It wasn't meant to make that. Uh, so people have to save for their own retirement, which they're addressing with Secure 2.0. Other pieces behind it, you know, obviously we're going to see a lot of conversation around Roth and after-tax dollars that's directly related to really revenue generation for the IRS. Uh, the bill is very nice for small employers and startup credits and a lot of, it's very giving. So they had to pay for it somehow. So you're going to see a lot of after-tax uh, conversation later on, but uh, not all bad, uh, but it's, you know, Roth is, I think, underrated. I think we need to really encourage Roth for, for, for people as well. So there's that. And then simplification of rules. I think there's a lot out there that 401ks aren't necessarily easy and retirement plans in general aren't easy to administer, especially for small business owners, even for large business owners. Uh, they've simplified a few rules too. So Secure 2.0 was meant to do that. With that, they also made things more complex in certain areas too. So we're also waiting for a lot of help on uh, how we're going to administer a lot of these pieces, a lot of these new rules that are coming out. So sure. a lot of guidance has to come out from the IRS and the DOL at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned, um, you know, the the whole retirement crisis. And I, if, you, if you've been saving for a while, you might think, yeah, there's no crisis. Like mm -hmm. I'm doing just fine. But um, an article I had read, I think it was from Forbes, said something like Federal Reserve did a study or, and found that 75% of non-retirees have any sort of actual retirement savings. And of that, only 40% feel like their savings are even on track. So, I mean, obviously that was a big piece of them developing this secure 2.0, um, which included things like auto enrollment. We were talking a little bit about that before we kind of officially started here, but, but maybe you want to bring it up again. Um, just how auto enrollment and, and kind of how that helps improve savings just you know, statistically. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, the stats are out there. So auto enrollment is fairly new in the retirement plan industry. Uh, it, really, it's, it's an opt out situation for folks. So instead of giving people the option to enroll in the plan, it's more so saying, hey, you have to actively opt out if you don't want to contribute to the plan. So it's taking that choice and helping them uh, make a good decisions because really against your point if people don't have enough savings the best thing people can do is start early you know put time on your side and start saving even a little bit helps uh, there's a lot of stats a lot of great charts out there that show uh, what compounding interest can do for you uh, and someone that starts in their 20s 30s and works for 30 years they're gonna have a pretty comfortable retirement if they just stay consistent with it so with Secure 2.0, what that what that's doing is they're actually mandating that any new plans that come out uh, after 2024 uh, have to incorporate uh, uh, auto enrollment and auto escalation. So those are two different components to it. So what used to be just auto enrollment, let's get you in the plan and deferring a certain percentage. Now they're actually expanding that to, all right, you're in the plan. Now we're actually going to increase your contribution on an annual basis too. Because what people see there is generally those that don't make an election, they're not actively checking their account very often. So if they get auto-enrolled at 3% 15 years ago, chances are they're still doing 3% 15 years later. And that's probably not going to be sufficient from a savings perspective. So what Secure 2.0 is looking to incorporate is those new plans coming in, 
there's a 3% minimum that people are going to be auto-enrolled into, and it could be up to 10%. So that's employer discretion at that point. That is something that you can talk about with your employer in your plan document saying, hey, we can start you at a minimum of 3%, or we can start people at 6% or 10%, whatever that works out to be. And then also we're incorporating auto escalation at 1%, 2% per year up to a cap of 15%. Yeah. And so with those pieces, again, all those are optional. They're, you know, an employee can opt out of that situation, but for those that don't, they're kind of saving them from themselves, are going to be enrolled. And if, say you're enrolled at 3% and you have a 1% increase, it's going to take a little bit before you get to that 15% maximum. But year over year, that saving is going to continue to compound. And generally, if you can work it correctly as an employer, and so say you have those auto increases happening around the same time frame as pay raises, uh, it's going to be minimal impact when it comes to their paycheck. And they may not even feel that, but they are saving more for their own retirement someday. Yeah, they don't notice that that take-home you know, deduction if you time it right. With exactly. Increase. Yeah, that's a good good idea. It's it's difficult. I mean, you have, you have to walk the line for employers about playing big brother and what that looks like. I think we hear that quite often. Like, we don't want to force anyone to do anything. And I think that's where people get hung up or plan sponsors get hung up uh, on, on that aspect. But truly, when you look at the stats and what's happening out there, I think Vanguard did a study more recently about those that don't have auto-enrollment, they're in the low 70% participation rates, whereas those that have auto-enrollment are closer in the low 90s, 92, 93%. So that's a major increase for people having to opt out versus having to opt in. Yeah. Even though, like I think we had discussed, right, there still are people that decide to opt out, which is, you know, obviously their choice and, and it, they got to do what's right for them and their families. But um, I think, you know, if you mentioned Big Brother, uh, employers to a degree have a little bit of a responsibility to their employees too on, you know, educating them about retirement and these plans. And so I think, you know, this auto enrollment is a really good feature of the Secure 2.0. I think that's a great idea just because a lot of people come out of college without having that financial planning, you know, background or experience or know-how of what does this mean for my future and your future at that time seems so far away right retirement is what 40 years plus away at the time that you start entering into the workforce and so retirement is probably the last thing on your mind it's uh hey i can finally buy a new car or a hey uh, a toy right a boat or an atv or something like that and so yeah you're not necessarily thinking retirement when you get that first paycheck of your career no and that's exactly it and We've implemented auto-enrollment for plans that didn't have it in the past, and there was always that fear of people being upset about that. Like, you, you pull people in that said uh, they're completely against it. Those are so few and far between, at least in my, ex my experience, and more people come up and say, I wish I'd have done this earlier. I wish we had this. I just, I've always wanted to get around to doing it, just never actually did it, which in those cases, you know, maybe you wish you had done a few years earlier. So I think it definitely is a step in the right direction and that most plans going forward should implement that. Yeah. Great. So what are um, what are some of the provisions for employers to provide financial incentives to encourage plan participation? When do those become effective? Yeah, this is a fun one. So small incentives for enrolling in the plan or what have you. Uh, what that could be, it could be literally anything. But I think what the most common one that we're hearing is, hey, you sign up for the 401k plan. Hey, you come to our employee education event. We're going to give you a $10 Amazon gift card. We're going to give you a $10 Starbucks gift card. That could be really up to the employer. There's not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot of guidance around that at this point. It's really discretionary. It really just has to be de minimis. 
That's that's the the verbiage they use in in the uh, in the the document. So as long as it's not being abused, as long as you're not giving massive signing bonuses for people to put away a certain percentage in their 401k plan, I think you, most employers could and should opt to do that where it makes sense. Sure. And I, it's actually we're seeing it not just on the employer side too. We're actually seeing a couple record keepers offering some sort of incentive for people to sign up too. So a plan provider, not necessarily the the business owner has to give it out, but we're seeing some record keepers say, hey, if you save a certain amount and you make under a certain amount and you sign this form and you, you uh, say, hey, I, I was doing this, they'll give you some sort of matching contribution or they'll give you a cash benefit, whatever that may be. So we're seeing unique pieces here. Obviously, it's very brand new and not all of it's really fleshed out right now, but we're seeing some creative ways to get people to, or at least incentivizing folks to do those things, which, you know, generally people, when incentivized, they'll go ahead and do something uh, that they normally otherwise wouldn't. Right. Um, so we talked a little bit about the use of Roths or, or how Roths need to become maybe encouraged a little bit more. Does Secure 2.0, does that ha- does that encourage or focus on the use of Roths or is there, you know, one plan that they kind of promote more than others or, or one plan that benefits better than others coming from Secure 2.0? So Roth, again, we're going to see a lot of, I'm using air quotes, Rothification uh, of 401k plans because again, someone's got to pay for all these different incentives that are being put in place for new plans to come in. So Rothification is really just after-tax dollars. So you're paying up front versus saying, I'm going to pay 20, 30, 40 years down the road. And what we're seeing in Secure 2.0 is, and what we're encouraging everyone, is that if you don't have Roth in your plan, which most plans today do have Roth, it was it was a newer thing a few years ago, and people weren't adopting it as quickly. I think a lot of it was due to some complexities in payroll and what sources were going to be out there. But how common it is now, it's uh, it, it should be in almost every plan. And so right now, what we're seeing is the biggest issue and what we're really talking to our clients about right now is catch-up contributions for people over the age of 50 that made more than $145,000 in the prior year. They're going to be required to make those catch-up contributions in Roth dollars which could be a, a curveball if your plan doesn't allow Roth that all of a sudden, hey, those highly compensated employees that want to make their catch-up contributions, they're not going to be allowed to do so. So if your plan does not allow for Roth, doesn't have that source concept, now is the time to amend your plan and allow for Roth because that plan, that amendment or that provision goes into effect 2024. And it's going to be retroactive, be looking at your 2023 income. So that's something we're talking to clients and kind of beating down the door for right now for those that maybe don't have Roth. Uh, so that's a big one right there. Other areas to uh, sim- uh, SEPs and SIMPLEs. So smaller plans, smaller employers that maybe had a SEP IRA or a SIMPLE IRA. Those used to only be pre-tax dollars that they would allow for. Those now include Roth, which is a good thing to see. Yeah. Uh, allowing employ- employees and employers to put away Roth dollars. We're also seeing uh, other items like uh, employer contributions. So when an employer contribution is either uh, a match or profit sharing contribution into the plan, generally those are going to be pre-tax dollars. The employer gets a uh, deduction for their their taxes when they put in employer dollars into the plan. Uh, 
with the new rule, there's an optional amendment that could go in that says, hey, as an employee, I want my employer contributions to be Roth. I don't want them to be pre-tax. It's still to TBD on how that's going to be treated. There's some, uh, obviously, some guidance that we're going to need from different entities to say how that's going to be treated. So, hey, as an employee, am I going to have that included in my W-2? Do I get a 1099 kicked out to me at the end of the year? How does payroll help out that piece? How, you know, where does the FICA tax go? How, there's a lot of that has to happen behind the scenes, which generally legislation is really good at forward thinking and thinking about things, but not necessarily giving guidance right away. It's like, hey, go figure it out. Uh, that's kind of where we're sitting with that right now. So again, with that piece of it specifically, we're taking a wait-see approach with a lot of our clients saying, hey, let's let somebody else stub their toe on this and then right. figure it out afterwards. It's, it, I think there are other options to that, but that's a big piece that, again, opening up the world of Roth and kind of moving away from that pre-tax contribution in so many ways. Other pieces on that uh, when it comes to Roth too, there is, when it comes to required minimum distributions or RMDs, there was this old rule or what, what actually got fixed was if you had a Roth 401k and you turned RMD age, you had to take an RMD. Whereas in a Roth IRA, you did not. So there was an incentive for someone that had a Roth 401k to basically, when they retire, roll out to a Roth IRA. That's no longer the case. They made that little bit of parity between those two accounts. So you can stay in the account long enough or you can stay in your employer plan with a Roth 401k and not be required to take a 401 or a RMD at that time. Okay. Which is, I think, simplicity. Again, does making the rules a little bit simpler for folks. And don't have to, again, stub your toe when you turn a certain age and have to take a, an account out or a, a required distribution, a distribution out when you could have just rolled it over to an IRA. Yeah, great. Well, I want to I want to reemphasize a, a key. I think what I think is a key business takeaway here for any business listeners, and that is, is if you don't know if your plan offers a Roth uh, investment option, take a minute, reach out to your plan advisor, right? And uh, if it's not in there get it in there so that you you can become a little bit more compliant with Secure 2.0. Now is the time. Now is the time because Perfect. most of those amendments have to take place. You know, they take about 90 days sure. to, to, from start to finish. So yeah. if you can do it now, it'd be, it'd be in your best interest. So on that same thread, um, this seems like a lot of upside for the employee. What about the employer? Um, you know, I mean, I love it when, you know, legislation just keeps piling and piling and piling on to the business owners, really discouraging people from wanting to even start or own a business. But there's got to be some benefit here for the employer, tax credits, incentives, anything like that. Can you speak to that piece? Definitely for those that don't have a plan up and running quite yet. So if you are an employer that has under 50 employees or even under 100 employees, there's a significant amount of tax credits out there for starting a plan that can offset a lot of the costs for starting a plan. Uh, generally speaking, if you have a good group of employees uh, that are non-highly compensated employees, you can get up to $5,000 in credits back to you for startup costs. So that goes for administrative costs, that's plan document costs, that's uh, employee education, all those components, so long as the, the company pays for it out of pocket, so not pay through plan assets. If you're paying it out of pocket, those can be picked up and actually written off as a tax credit which is fantastic. So that can be done for the first three years of the plan creation. So that really gets it off the ground and running and get some assets in the plan. So then it can kind of just run itself after, after a fair amount of time. 
uh, there's also other credits that can come into play for employee con or employer contributions. So up to $1,000 per employee that makes under $100,000 as a match or profit sharing or what have you, those can be credits as well, tax credits off the employer tax return, which is fantastic to see. So I don't want to say it's free to start a 401k plan at this point, but at a significantly reduced cost yeah. to start it. So that barrier of entry is much, much less at this point. So that's that's big for employers. Uh, that would I would say is probably the biggest change. I think for ongoing employer benefits, the simplicity of the rules. So there's some pieces out there about less paperwork that has to go out to folks, a lot less notices, especially those that aren't enrolled in the plan. You don't necessarily have to have the requirement of sending out notices. And there's other aspects to it that ease the burden of administering a plan for plan sponsors going forward. There is one hiccup there in the fact that now there's a new rule that says at least once a year, a paper statement has to go to all employees. So unless they opt out of it and say, hey, I want to have all electronic copies, that's uh, that's one kind of booting in the wrong direction, in my opinion. That's, uh, yeah, we have to mail out at least one paper statement per year to all employees with a, an account balance. Two steps forward, one step back. Is that how that works? Name of the game, right? <laughs> Um, all right. So I, I saw something about um, cash out limits for terminated plan participants um, and when that takes effect. Uh, can you speak to that piece of this? This is actually a really exciting one, it's as exciting as 401ks can get. So in the fact that they've updated the cash out limits, so a cash out for those that are maybe not familiar with it is if an employee leaves, so a terminated employee leaves and they have a balance under the threshold, so what used to be $5,000 they can be forced out of the plan. So they are forced out either through a cash distribution or they're rolled over to an IRA in their name. That has been indexed or moved up to $7,000. Not a significant increase, but enough to say we can reduce our plan population a little bit, which is important for employers as they grow because once you hit a certain threshold, about 120 employees, there is a 401k audit that comes into play, an employee benefit audit. And they're not cheap. There's, a, there's an expense that you have to account for at some point. So with coupling that with that, you know, that increase from 5000 to 7000 if you can force those employees out of the plan into an IRA or somewhere else, uh, that keeps your employee count down. And also rules have been, I should say, the de definition of for a plan audit has changed as well. So what used to be the amount of eligible employees for the plan is now to the amount of employees with a balance in the plan. So once you hit that 120 threshold, then you have to get an audit the following year. If you can force more employees out of it and keep that clean on an annual basis, that's going to keep you away from that audit longer, which is a, obviously a good thing for the employer. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a misconception there that a lot of business owners think it's employees that trigger, you know, the employee headcount that triggers it is really not. It's the number of people in the plan. So they could be retired no longer an employee or an active employee, but still in your plan. And that still will trigger that audit requirement threshold. That's exactly it. So we're seeing a lot of people, a lot of employees, employers really trying to clean that up on an annual basis, making sure that's happening and getting balances out where you don't need it. We see that quite often when when we take over plans is, hey, we, gotta, we better clean this up as we go. It's also just easier from an administration point to not keep track of employees that have left that maybe have a small balance in their plan. Uh, because then that's on them to track them down. Just those notices that we're talking about, if they don't, if the employee's not going in and updating those uh, addresses or phone numbers or what have you, 
it's tough to track those folks down uh, years down the road. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about some of the things that are like uh, coming due immediately or or take effect immediately out of Secure 2.0. Can you speak to stuff? Is there is there parts of this that'll take effect later? Is there a lag time on some of this? And can you speak to any of that that people need to be aware of? A lot of it is not this year or immediately impacting us. Uh, this is going up into basically from immediately from the when it was signed in 2022, late 2022 to 2023, all the way up to 2027. There's a lot of provisions. There's 90 plus provisions in the Secure 2.0 and a lot of them are pushed back. I'll take a different route in that there are pieces that maybe are immediate or in 2023 or later on that require a little bit more discussion and guidance that are going to be in effect. And so we're talking with our clients and we've already disclosed to our clients that we're going to be talking about secure 2.0 for the next five plus years. So, so we have a topic for next year's podcast episode. Is that what I just heard? You got it. Okay. You got it. So it's, uh, and each year we're going to be looking at it ahead of time and saying, you know, this is what is coming due and this is the things we should be thinking about. So, you know, buckle up. It's going to be a constant conversation in all of our plan review meetings. So uh, the things that are out there that I think are people that are getting people excited are one, that Roth contribution, the employer contribution. So again, there's a lot of discussion out there about what that's going to look like, how it's going to be taxed, how that works. Again, we're not telling people to go run and do it right now. Don't implement it today because it is an optional employer uh, discretion for their plan documents. They don't have to allow it, but let's have that conversation down the road. Let's see what it looks like from the payroll perspective and from the record keeping perspective. So likely not something that's going to be implemented in 2023 for most plans. The other one that we're seeing a lot of right now, at least a lot of conversation is student loan matching. That's been one that we've been uh, hearing about and rumblings about for a few years now, specifically from professional services firms that have a lot of graduates that have significant student loan debt. So where we're seeing this issue, again, air quotes behind that, is the conundrum that folks have, do I save for retirement or do I pay back my student loans or some mix of the both? And so the issue obviously being, if I'm not saving for my retirement, I'm missing out on employer match. But if I'm not paying back my student loans, I'm getting high interest rates, what have you. Not so much more recently with the, with the suspension, but that's going to be kicking off again here. So Secure 2.0 really puts into place, or at least the framework of how can we address that issue and allow folks that maybe are paying off student loans to still receive an employer match. And so the framework looks like, and again, there's a lot that has to come into this before if we start figuring out how that's going to work out, is okay, employee makes uh, student loan payments and self-certifies at the end of the year saying, I made X amount of payments, puts that into the employer saying, this is what I did. And then they receive a percentage of that. So if they have a 3% match, so long as they've met that 3% threshold of their payments, now they'll get an employer contribution to their 401k for those payments made. So while great in theory, and it makes a ton of sense, and I think it's really great for the employees, it's one of those that let's wait and see how administratively that's going to work because honestly, it does not sound, it sounds like a nightmare to be honest yeah. with you from an administration standpoint. How does payroll look at it? How does the record keeper look at it? How does the testing work with that too? And we're looking at uh, ADP, ACP testing, looking at all those items. Uh, how do they include those? Do you not include them? A lot of guidance has to come out before that happens. 
So we're seeing that. I think we're getting a lot of that. Again, we have some employers that say, no, we don't want to treat certain employees better than other employees. We also see ones that have, that maybe require a advanced degree saying like, no, that makes a ton of sense. We should implement something like this. Yeah. So that's coming out in the next few years as well. Yeah. So, uh, you know, on that note of how do you stay in compliance and how do you stay on top of the changes that are going to come out over the next several years related to Serial 2.0, um, is there a resource that you would drive people to? I mean, and, and possible plug here for Abbey Street, right? I assume you guys got newsletters or, or information that you probably even have available on your website that addresses this for business owners. Um, but if someone were to say, hey, how do I find out more about this? Like, is there a spot you would drive them to other than, a, you know, general Google search? Yeah. And I appreciate the plug here. So uh, or at least the opportunity. What we always tell folks is this is where you want to lean on some good providers. So providers being your advisor. So shameless Abbey Street plug. Uh, folks that are experts in the area specialize in just working with retirement plans and corporate retirement plans themselves. That's uh, obviously a great resource. That's what we're doing. We're staying on top of all these provisions and working with folks on how to implement those. I would also say your record keeper. So record keeper being uh, where the money goes, people that keep the records, the website you go to, they have to stay attuned to this because a lot of these provisions are mandatory and they're just going to be behind the scenes. They're administrative in nature and the record keeper themselves have to implement them into the website and into the workflows that take place from payroll and then payroll. Working with your payroll providers, again, with a lot of this, these Roth provisions coming through, there has to be more source documents. There has to be more source buckets is probably a better way to say it uh, from the payroll perspective and how that's working. So they are on top of it. They have to work together. I think now more than ever, if you don't have integrations between your payroll provider and your record keeper, or that's 180-360 API, whatever that looks like, to, now is the time to be looking at those and asking those questions because payrolls can get more complex. The more and more that we evolve the 401k and the retirement plan industry, those two pieces have to talk to each other just to ease that burden between human resources, payroll, and the providers that you're working with. But again, having strong providers across the board, that's just going to ease all of that. Yeah. Great. Well, we, we covered quite a bit, um, but I want to open it back up in the event that I didn't ask a question that addressed something that you think is important. So anything that we didn't talk about yet that you would say, hey, we should probably just quick chat about this. Yeah, I think there's a couple pieces. So I think I touched on RMDs, required administrations a little bit. I think on the personal side, so not necessarily when it comes to retirement plans, that piece is changing as well. So we saw a change back in 2019 when it got pushed back from age 70 to half, weird number, 70 to half to 72. And now in 2023, got pushed back to 73. So really an RMD is just saying, hey, we've waited all this time. You have to take a distribution. You take a small amount each year and pay tax on those dollars. That got pushed back one more year to 73. And then in 10 years from now, 2033, that's going to get pushed back to age 75. So anyone that turned basically 72 past 2023, so past January 1st, they get to wait another year. So that's a, a obviously a benefit for individuals and savers that maybe are retired at this point. They, got, they get to wait one more year before they take those. I think that's a big piece. Also on the individual side, I'll, I'll, I'll plug 529 plans. So people with small children, people that are planning uh, for families and planning for that further education. There are provisions now that say, hey, if we, you overfund a 529 plan, if you have too much money in this, maybe you know Johnny gets a scholarship to, to wherever, 
and you don't have to use all those $529. There's a one-time lifetime $35,000 rollover allowance for saying we're going to move from their 529 to a Roth IRA in their name. So what used to be you had to spend it out of the 529 if it wasn't used for higher education costs, if you didn't pass it along, there was going to be tax and penalty that had to be paid out of it. So that's a, that's a nice little bonus uh, for individuals and families that are, are planning for college. Yeah, for sure that is, yeah. Yeah, no, so I was going to say about the whole RMD thing, you know, and, and them pushing it out. I mean, that's that and this whole Secure 2.0, I think, are also fixing another problem simultaneously that I don't think people really think about, and that is the whole workforce problem we have. You know, So by allowing the RMDs to be uh, pushed out later, right, people can stay in the workforce longer. Um, which we have this big workforce shortage issue that we're, you know, a lot of employers are facing across several different industries, right? And, um, you know, the other piece is, you know, not necessarily forcing employers' hands, but making benefits better for employees will keep them at their workplace longer, right? So a lot of business owners get wrapped up in the day-to-day operations and don't necessarily take a minute to think about what am I doing for my employees. And so this will sort of force that hand a little bit, but you know, indirectly will benefit them in the long run by just making the, the workplace better for their employees. And, you know, that helps solve that workforce tor- turnover issue that a lot of companies have too. So exactly. That, that's been a big, it's a hot topic in yeah. the retirement plan industry is how do you recruit and retain employees through the total benefit package? Right. So it's got to be everything. It's got to be salary. It's got to be health insurance. It's got to be what kind of retirement benefits are we getting? Yeah. And they look at it through the entire scope there. So the more and more employers can have those conversations and create a better environment for their retirement plan savings, that's something you can tout and say, hey, we're giving X amount of dollars, six, seven, eight percent matching contributions plus a profit sharing. That's 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 the total package. That's what that's you right. can say, you can tell folks that yes, our salary is this and yes, our health insurance looks like this, but you're also getting a 10% bump every year because you're getting matching and profit sharing too. So there's a lot of conversation happening about what's the total rewards package and making them more enticing and using that as a recruitment tool for folks. Yeah. And that works if the employer takes the time to, to explain to the employee, here's what we're providing you in addition to just your paycheck. Cause I think so many employees are focused just on that net pay piece, right? Like mm-hmm. how much am I making? Yep. Well, that's a small component of the, you know, your total career. So you know, be the advocate for your employee, explain to them, you know, we're also covering your health care, we're covering your, you know, retirement plan, and all of these have a cost to you as an employee, we're covering that for you. So really, you're not just making X, you're making X plus. Um, and, you, you know, highlight that, make it easy for them to understand and educate your employees. That's spot on. There's so many times that I've heard employers say, we've got a great benefit for folks, but we don't necessarily see that because, the, the the employees don't understand what yeah. that is and they'll go across the street for a 25 cent 50 cent raise right. per hour wherever that is and it's just hard to keep talent so having those upfront conversations and showing them hey this is what this actually is you got to have those conversations yeah. you, may, you may save a few employees from leaving well, it's a benefit that they don't realize for years right so it's it's sitting in the background growing and it's it shows your employees i think that you care too so laying it out there for them so they can better see it definitely going to help you in the long run on that same same note, uh, when we're talking about turnover and people leaving, that, that spurred a thought in my mind about another secure 2.0 provision that's going to affect, and it'll be short. They're creating what's what I thought already existed or what should have existed. It feels like it should have. There's a, a lost and found for retirement plans uh, that's going to be created by the DOL 
uh, in the next two years. So basically with today's workforce and what the retirement plan industry calls leakage and people forgetting about accounts or uh, forgetting about retirement plans based on moving from employer to employer, uh, the DOL has been tasked with creating and maintaining an online database where people can go out and look up old accounts so they don't forget about that $7,000 or $6,000 account that maybe they lost three, four, five, ten 10 years ago, uh, which for people that are planning for retirement, that should be a pretty nice little benefit that they can see. So, uh, so many, so often do we hear work, sitting with employees like, yeah, I think I had that. I think that went there. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that provider changed when we see that quite a bit with the M&A uh, activity. So when an old employer gets bought and all of a sudden they move from one record keeper to another, maybe didn't get the paperwork. Maybe they didn't update their address at one point. They just lose track of all these various accounts that they didn't roll over into their accounts. We're seeing that uh, as, a, I think, a, a big positive in our industry as well. And there's also this 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 concept around auto portability that's going to be taking place. So some of the major record keepers out there are working as a, more or less as a team, uh, to say if someone leaves a firm and they don't roll their dollars over, they can auto move their dollars from one record keeper to another to follow that employee to their new employer. So long as that record keeper is part of that network and what that looks like. So I, I think the, the, the big piece of this is how do we make retirement plans easier, less complicated for the employee with automated features, with auto portability? How do we make it more accessible and making sure that it's a, it's a good experience for employees? I think that's really the crux of what 2.0 is, uh, is working towards. Yeah. I think it, it's going to come down to that paper statement that they receive every, you know, that's the big benefit. <laughs> that's, there we go. One step forward, two steps back. Yeah. Well, um, Blake, I think we've, we've kind of reached our time limit for today, but um, really appreciate having you here on the podcast and um, a lot of great information for employers and obviously more to come, right, as it spans several years uh, into the making. So um, hopefully, you know, we can have you on again and, and maybe talk about some of the other things coming into effect in the future years. I appreciate it, Adam. Anytime. All right. Thank you. Check out all of our podcast episodes on the Q&A over coffee page on the Olson Thielen website. This is also a place where you can sign up to be notified whenever a new episode goes live. You can also listen to the podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.